Well, welcome back to week two of our Colossians series that my mom kicked off last week. But before we get into it, is it okay that I just stop and I want to testify of some of the goodness of God and what he's been doing lately because he has been on the move. I mean, just if you, I was sharing with the leadership just uh, about uh, two weeks ago, we had a connect night that was just honestly incredible. I mean, we had to bring in chairs for connect night into Life Cafe. It was just beautiful to see that hunger and growth within God's kingdom. Uh, two weekends ago on Sunday, we had 600 volunteer signups. Isn't that crazy? Right, we'll be able to get involved and serve in God's kingdom. And I'm also very excited to announce that over the last two weeks, we have finally received additional corporate funding for the New Life Children's Home. Yes. And so we can start making plans to open the Blue House at last, right? So great, we're going to start that process now. But it's just beautiful, guys, in this day and age to be part of a growing church, to see what God's doing in people's lives. It is just incredible. Can we just give praise to God? For a moment. So good. Now, if any of you are like me and my family and you have kids in primary school, then most likely you spend quite a few days this month on the sports field. Like then most likely you spend quite a few days this month at sports days and athletics days and watching your kids run or do high jump or long jump or something. Is there any parents who have spent some time this month at a sports day? Can you lift your hands so I don't feel so alone? Okay, great, right. Uh, we got some kids who are in primary school, and uh, one of my daughters, Becca, she has been uh, running her heart out. She's pr- pretty much like as competitive as me and my wife put together. She loves to run first, and she just, man, you can see she leaves everything out on the field. Like when she's running, she's just gunning for first place. She just wants to be first so badly. In fact, isn't that true of everyone they're running? Everyone wants to be first, right? Like no one's hitting that finish line saying, oh, I hope I come last in this race. Or like, I hope I come second. Like everyone running that race wants to be first. And actually, when I looked at the piece of Colossians that we're going to be looking at today, that's what it reminded me of. Because in the racetrack of your life, everything is trying to be first. And I kind of wonder on the racetrack of your life, like, What's competing for that number one spot right now in your life? Maybe if you get a look at your life, maybe it's your spouse or your partner or your fiance. Hopefully you only have one or the other, right? If it's your spouse and your girlfriend vying for number one spot, like that's a different sermon. Okay, we'll do that another time. Maybe it's money that's vying for that number one spot. The Bible certainly says, that money is going to be a strong competitor for God in your life. Maybe it's you. Like, you want to be number one. Like, hey, don't we all at some point struggle with selfishness, just putting ourselves first above all others? I know I do. Maybe it's your kids. Maybe, like, your struggle is, like, putting your kids in that number one position. They're, They're, like, getting all the attention and all the devotion. Maybe it's your career. I don't know. What's vying for the number one spot in your life? And I wonder, as you look at the racetrack of your life, where's Jesus? Like, where's Jesus? Like, how much, is he winning that race? Like, how much love and, and devotion and passion and attention and worship is Jesus getting when compared to everything else? Because 
Today, I think, as we look at this section in Colossians, we, we're really going to be challenged, I think, to put Jesus first. In fact, Paul is writing to this church in Colossus, and we're going to be looking in Colossians 1 at one of my favorite portions of Scripture in the entire Bible. I love this piece of Scripture. If you haven't read it, I'm so happy to introduce it to you. And uh, this is a good thing to like underline or make notes in your Bible, but let's read it together from Colossians 1, chapter, uh, verse 15. It says, Christ is the visible image of the invisible God. He existed before anything was created, and He is supreme over all creation. For through Him, God created everything in the heavenly realms and on earth. He made the things that we can see and the things we can't see, such as thrones, kingdoms, rulers, authorities in the unseen world. Everything that was created through Him and for Him. He existed before anything else. And he holds all of creation together. Christ is also the head of the church, which is his body. He is the beginning, supreme over all who rise from the dead. So he is first in everything. For God in all his fullness was pleased to live in Christ. And through him, God reconciled everything to himself. He made peace with it, with everything in heaven and on earth by means of Christ's blood on the cross. Well, Really powerful stuff there. I mean, we could probably do a whole series just on this section of Scripture. But we're going to kind of touch on some of the highlights today, some of the things that I think are the standout portions of the Scripture. And it really starts right there in the beginning. As we are introduced to Jesus, Paul says in verse 15 that Christ is the visible image of the invisible God. Ironically, I couldn't believe that this came across uh, for this weekend, because this is exactly what we were discussing on Wednesday night at our discipleship in the Manor Hall, that Christ is the visible image. Within the Trinity, there are two invisible entities, and there's one visible, and Christ is the visible. He's the one we can see, and He represents, He's the, he's the visible image of God. In fact, that word image in the original language is this word icon. Everyone say icon. Now, it's actually where we get the word icon from. And we know what an icon is because we have it on our phones and our tablets and our iPads and our smart TVs and our computers, right? It's this image that's supposed to represent something, supposed to represent what that thing is about. Jesus is the image of God. He's come to represent what God is about. Uh, There's this letter written in uh, the first century, and it's still on papyrus, by a soldier named Apion, he's writing a letter to his father, and near the end of his letter, he writes these words, I send you a little portrait of myself, drawn by my friend, and this little portrait was again this word, Ikion, this idea that I'm going to use a symbol or a picture to show you who I am. Now, it's interesting because there are other images of God in Scripture. In Genesis 1, verse 26, we read this. Then God said, let us make human beings in our what, church? Image. Which means you were made in the image of God. Look at someone and say, you're made in God's image. And this was a grand design and the plan from the very beginning. The idea that we would be made in the image of God, which means we would have a rationale and a soul and a spirit and a personality and a conscience and the ability to make good moral choices 
that was all given to us. So the idea was that as we ruled and reigned over earth, we would show creation God. We would show him creation, God's goodness and God's holiness and God's love. But things didn't go according to that plan. Why? Because mankind fell. Sin was introduced in the world. And so that image was corrupted. The image of God that was supposed to be through us was not there anymore. Humanity no longer icons God. So God sent his son, the second Adam. And there's something different about the second Adam. You and I were created in his image, but that's not what Paul says about Jesus. Jesus was not created in the image. It tells us Jesus is the image of God. Well, you and I were created in his image. Jesus is the image of God. He's not just some copy. He is God. Paul is doubling down that Jesus is God. That's who he is. This is who Scripture tells us he is again and again and again. That to see Jesus is to see God himself. In John 1.18, it says, No one has ever seen God but the one and only Son, who is himself God and is in closest relationship with the Father, has made known to him. So by using this phrase, Paul is telling us Jesus is that unique one. Jesus is that ultimate one who is himself God. And Paul is doubling down on this idea because there was a blasphemous teaching in the church in Colossus. We you probably already heard last week that there's a lot of false teaching happening in the church in Colossus. And one of the teachings came from one of what the Greeks believed. The Greeks believed God was so holy and so perfect that there was no way he could interact with material things because material things are dirty and evil. And so they believed God, he would produce things. And these produced things would interact with material things on his behalf. And so they believed Jesus was just one of these produced things, one of these things that came from God in order to interact with humanity on God's behalf because God couldn't do it himself. But Paul is like, no, no, no. Jesus was not something just produced by God. He is himself God, God in the flesh. In Hebrews chapter 1, verse 3, it says, The Son is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation. Everyone say exact. The exact representation, sustaining all things by his powerful word. Jesus is the exact imprint, the exact representation of who God is. If you see Jesus, you see God. Because of this, we know Jesus is supreme. In fact, Paul goes on to say those exact words in Colossians 1 verse 15. It says, and he is supreme over all of creation. Some of your Bible translations might say the word, he's firstborn, referring to his rank. He's the first. This He's supreme over all of creation. Jesus is supreme. You might be wondering, well, what makes him supreme? Why is Jesus supreme? Well, Paul actually details for us now exactly why Jesus is supreme. And he starts in verse 16. He says, for through him God created everything in the heavenly realms. Everyone say heavenly realms. And on the earth. Everyone say earth. So we get told, first of all, the first reason Jesus is supreme is that Jesus created all things. Jesus created all things. 
And, and it, I love how Paul like doubles down and he specifies to make sure we understand the scope of this. That in the heavenly realm, so the most distant planet and galaxy that we have yet to even discover or see, to the tiniest little ant that's on planet Earth, Jesus created it all. He created you, created me, created everything you see. He created all things. Look at someone and give them this encouragement. Tell them, Jesus made you. He created you. Jesus created us. And he didn't just make this visible world that we see. He even created the things that are unseen. Colossians goes on to say in verse 16, he made the things we can see, right? The things we experience with our five senses, the things we touch and taste, the things we interact with. He also made, it says, the things we can't see. Because not everything we interact with can we see. We can't see love, right? You know, it's there. We can't see truth. But we also can't see the spiritual realm. And it goes on to say what's in the spiritual realm, such as thrones, kingdoms, rulers, and authorities of this unseen world. In other words, Jesus literally created the fabric of reality. The physical realm and the spiritual realm. The spiritual realm where exists forces of God and goodness and forces of the enemy. The spiritual realm that we get a glimpse that has a kingdom and a hierarchy and levels of authority. There are thrones there. The kingdom there. There's rulers there. There's authorities there. We, we see in Ephesians 6 that even in the enemy's camp, there is an hierarchy and there's rulers and powers and authorities. We see in Daniel 10 when the veil is lifted and he gets this glimpse of the spiritual warfare that's happening all around him. We, we find in Scripture instances like with Michael, who's referred to as an archangel, right? Head of the angels. In other words, there was this entire spiritual hierarchy and realm, and Jesus created that too. You know, there was this belief again in the church in Colossus that in order to worship God in His fullness, you would have to worship all His created things. And Paul is saying, no, no, no. Jesus doesn't have to like worship the angels. He created them. He's not beneath them. He's above them. He created all things. There's nothing that He did not make and create. That's the first reason He is supreme. Second reason He's supreme we find in verse 16, it says, everything was created through him and for him. In other words, all things were created for him. All things. Again, you were created, but why were you created? Why are you here? Turns out you're here for him. Everything you see, everything in creation was created for him. Look at someone and say, you're created for Jesus. You might be wondering what your purpose is, what your function is. There it is, clear as day. Everything was created to glorify Him, to exalt Him. Your life is given to glorify Him. And I know, guys, this can like offend some of our egos because we sometimes like to think like we're the center of attention, like we're the center of the universe, but you are not the center of the universe. In fact, why don't you give someone that encouragement, look at them and say, you're not the center of the universe. I feel like I just broke some hearts. Jesus is the reason for everything that is created. Verse 17 tells us that he existed 
before anything else. He is pre-existent. He existed before creation existed. And, and I was chatting with the guys at Discipleship, like, I know this like spins our head because we've never interacted with an uncreated thing. We don't have a, we don't have a model for that. We don't know what that looks like. Everything you interact with has been created at some point. But God is the uncreated one. Jesus is the uncreated one. This is a godly quality that makes him God. He existed before existence. He was in, he, he, he was alive before creation. He existed before anything else was created. In fact, in, uh, in a conversation Jesus was having in the book of John chapter 8, verse 58, Jesus said these words. He said, very truly, I tell you, before Abraham was born, I am. I am. The Jews got so angry at the statement, they knew exactly what Jesus was saying, that they picked up stones to stone him. Because he was claiming to be God. He's saying, I am. Before everything, I am. In Revelations 22, 13, it says this of Jesus. I am the Alpha and the Omega. The first and the last. The beginning and the end. Alpha being the beginning or the first letter in the Greek alphabet. Omega being the last letter. He's everything. Beginning and end. He is pre-existent. He existed before anything was created. We carry on with verse 17. It says, and he holds all of creation together. You know, Jesus is supreme of all creation, not just because he created it and everything was created for him and he existed before creation. He himself sustains creation. He holds creation together. Now, I don't know if you know this. I'm no, I'm no scientist. This is just what I was reading this week. Is that this is fascinating thing that happens with atoms that scientists still can't understand. You know, atoms are the building block of all things material, right? You consist of atoms. Everything you see has atoms in it. And the thing about an atom, if you look at it, that in the nucleus of the atom, there are protons. But these protons are positively charged. Now, we know from playing with magnets, when you have a negative and a positive, there's attraction. But when you have two positives or two negatives, what happens? They repel each other, right? And so within these atoms, there are only positively charged protons, and scientists can't understand why they don't repel each other. In fact, there are even some quotes. I'm going to read from scientists from a guy called Dr. Lee Chestnut. That's his real name. He says, what holds the nucleus together? Why doesn't it fly apart? And therefore, why don't all atoms fly apart? Experiments have been done again and again and again, and they confirm this. There's a mysterious force that holds all atoms together. In fact, the scientific community calls it this, a strong nuclear force, but they can't explain it. Carol Darrow, who's a um, physicist, he writes this. He says, you can grasp what this implies. It implies that all the massive nuclei have no right to be alive at all. Indeed, they should never have been created. They should instantly have blown up. Yet, here they are. Some inflexible force is holding them relentlessly together. While the scientific community can't give you the answer, I can because it's here in Colossians. The thing holding us together is Jesus Christ. He sustains. He holds. It literally says, church, 
He holds all things together. The only reason you are together, you bring hell together, and you're not just like, you know, looking like Ash from a Marvel movie when Thanos snapped his fingers. The reason that you're here is why? Because Jesus is holding you together. The only reason anything is here is because Jesus sustained his own creation. And this makes him supreme. Jesus created all things. All these things were created for him and through him. He existed before these things were even created, and then he sustains his creation. But Jesus is not just supreme in creation. Within the creation, he remains supreme. It goes on to say in verse 18, Christ is also the head of the church, which is his body. The head of the church, I love this analogy. There's many metaphors for the church in Scripture, but one of my favorite is that we are the body. And Jesus Christ is the head. He's the one directing us, making the decisions, leading us, thinking for us, showing us the way, giving us his wisdom. He's the head. He points us to life. And then Paul says there's two important reasons why Jesus is the head of the church. And so let's carry on reading. It says in verse 18, he is the beginning. Everyone say beginning. It says he's the beginning supreme over all the dead. Now, this word beginning means that the one who starts the process. Jesus is the one who starts the process. You see, the process of us being renewed, the process of us becoming new creations was started in Jesus. And the only way it could start was because of the resurrection, because it was one who went before us and defeated death. And now you and I, when we die, we still die a physical death, but we no longer die a spiritual one. Death has been defeated because of Jesus. Because that's why we get excited that the tomb is empty, right? And that because it had no hold on Jesus, so it has no hold on you, and it has no hold on me. Look at someone and say, death has no hold on you. Another reason why Christ is supreme and the head of the church, in verse 19 it says, For God in all his fullness was pleased to live in Christ. And through him God reconciled everything to himself, he made peace with everything in heaven and on earth by means of Christ's blood on the cross. This word fullness is a favorite of Paul's in this book. He uses it eight times. And it means the sum of all of God's power. The fullness, the sum of all of God's power, Paul says, would abide, would dwell within Jesus. Within Jesus and this pleased the Father to dwell fully within Jesus Christ. For all his power to dwell within Jesus, to make his home in Jesus. And why? What's the purpose of this? Was all about you and me, to reconcile us to God. To reconcile us. And this means, by the way, that there must have been conflict if there's going to be reconciliation. Colossians will go on to say that you and I were enemies of God. But it pleased God to pour his fullness into Christ so that Christ could be the one who reconciles you and me back to God. And this makes Christ supreme, the head of the church. He is the visible icon of God, the visible representation of an invisible God. He is the one who created all things. All things were created in him and for him. And he existed before all these things were created. And he sustains them and he is now the head 
of the church. This is who Jesus Christ is. And you might be listening to this and thinking, okay, cool. I mean, what's a big deal? How, how does it like really impact my life? Like, what's it mean that Jesus is supreme? Well, there's one verse I overlooked, and I overlooked it because I wanted to leave it for last because I think it's kind of the point of this whole section. And it's in verse 18. I think it summarizes everything so well. Paul says this, so he is first in everything. He's first in everything. Look at someone and say, Jesus is first in everything. This is Paul's point, church, that Jesus is first. He's first. You know, in English, we have this word preeminence. It just means unrivaled, unchallenged, supreme above all, unequaled. And this is who Jesus is. It basically means he's first. He's first. And I think if we have to look at this section of Scripture, this is the point it's trying to make. Are you allowing Jesus to be supreme in your life? Is he first? Is he first in your thoughts? Is he first in your marriage? Is he first in your family, in your career, in your finances? Because if he's not first, then your life doesn't reflect reality because he is first in everything. He's already first in everything. And so if he's not first in your life, then your life is out of order, out of the natural created order that God has already done on our behalf. It's already done. He's already first. It's like, it's like your kid winning that race and then you not acknowledging that they've won. No, they've won. Jesus is first. But the question is, are you allowing him to be first in your life or is your life out of order? Jesus is supreme over all creation. But does your life reflect that? Because if your life doesn't reflect his supremacy, then it's kind of a violation of what God has done on our behalf. So we have to look sometimes. For some of us, your families are out of order because Jesus isn't first. Maybe it's your finances are out of order because Jesus isn't first. Maybe it's your career. Maybe it's your lifestyle. Maybe there's something that you're doing that you know it's putting my life out of order because Jesus is not first. I'm allowing something else to be first. I'm allowing something else to get more attention, to get more passion, to get more love, to get more time, to get more devotion. What is first in your life? And I want to admit this is a struggle for all of us. Like no one just wakes up and gets this right. There is a battle with the flesh every single day for all of us. But don't give up. Don't give up putting Jesus first. And it's good to sometimes sit with Scripture like this and just take a pause and really reevaluate our life and say, have I given up the fight to put Jesus first in my life? Or am I just allowing all these things? that are overtaking him on the racetrack of my life. I'm just allowing them to take first place when he, in fact, is first in everything. Does your life reflect that? In fact, I want you to think about that for a moment. Can you, wherever you are, just close your eyes and just a way to kind of help us uh, minimize distractions around us. I want you to think about your life. And I want you to ask some questions. What makes it difficult to be obedient to God? What do you think is trying to take first place away from God in your life? 
What's competing with God in your heart? What's getting even more passion and more devotion, more love and more attention? I want to encourage you today to get your life in order. Jesus is supreme. You were created by him. You were created for him. He sustains your life. He's ahead of your church. Get your life in order. God, I want to pray by your Holy Spirit that you would help us in our lives. Do exactly that, Lord. Father, you know every single one of us. You know the state of our hearts. God, you know the places where we are struggling to put you first. You know the things, God, in our life that's taking the number one spot. So right now, I want to pray just lovingly by your Holy Spirit. Would you point out those things in our life? Lord, we need to get some things right. I pray, God, that we would put you first in our families, in our relationships, Lord, in our finances, in our careers. God, as everything runs hard and pursues that first place, may we only allow you to occupy that space, I pray. I pray to the one who is supreme, to the one who created all things, to the one for whom all things were created, the one who existed before creation, the one who sustains all things and the head of our church, I pray in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.